Hello again, everyone, from beautiful Merced, located in the Central Valley of California, USA. Thanks for being with me on this journey. We are in part six, the final installment of how to not be a boring preacher. And I hope this has not been a boring podcast. If it has been, you're probably not even listening anymore. Or if you are and it has been boring, wow, thanks. I hope your endurance pays off. I've had some friends of mine who are teachers uh, in public and private schools who have validated much of what we're talking about here. And using rather informal surveys, it seems many homeschoolers validate it as well. We teach people a subject. In our case, we teach people the Bible. In part five, we talked about disequilibrium, reversal, and resolution. Just to review, disequilibrium is where the status quo is upset. It's the setting up of the problem that you have already discovered in the text. The reversal is nearly at the end of the sermon or lesson. It's the release of the tension. It's probably when you give people the clearly stated big idea or a sticky statement you've created built around it. Resolution is the tying up of loose ends. For us, it means application. It's what we're supposed to do with what the Bible is commanding. Then in part five, we talked about Andy Stanley's approach to this with his framework, Me, We, God, You, Us. Today, I want to talk you through a recent framework that I've stumbled across and modified, and and it appears to work very well. Much like Andy Stanley's approach, it aids in preaching without notes, or at least with very minimal ones. But that is a subject for another day. The best description of this is a three-act structure. Simply broken down, act one is what? It's the what. Act two is the why. Act three is so what? Now, let's talk about this a little bit more. Act one, the what. This is the introduction. Duh. I mean, whether you think it's an introduction or not, it's the introduction. But it's not about introducing the big idea in so much as it is introducing the tension, the problem, the itch in their lives that only God can scratch. Borrowing from a blog I read, one preacher suggests using some boxing terminology. In this first act, we need to jab the audience two or three times. And our last jab, we need to tell them why we are so passionate about what we're talking about. This is where we tell them why embracing what we're talking about is important. This has to be given with fire in the bones. Now, these jabs are not meant to be mean or cruel, but they are devices designed to get attention. For example, one jab might be a statistic. One I will share sometimes, depending on the message, is nearly 90% of churches are in plateau or active decline. That's shocking. Nine out of ten. That jab can mean something, depending on what I'm trying to set up. 
And then there's this last little transition at the end of Act 1, and it's called the right hook. Now, I'm left-handed, so I don't know that a right hook is that much stronger, but apparently in boxing, for a right-handed boxer, it is. The right hook closes this section out, and it's where we turn to Scripture for the answer to the problem we've been jabbing them with. So do you see how the tension is set up? These two or three jabs are designed to magnify the problem. It's designed to point out that something is wrong. It it creates the itch. It's the feather that starts to itch them under their nose so they feel like they need to sneeze. And, and only God is going to be able to be the holy handkerchief. You know what I mean? It's, it's the point that we're setting up the problem. And the right hook is where we finally come into, look, Scripture has the answer to this, which leads us into Act 2. Why? That's the way I title it. Why? It's the explanation. This is where we might read the scriptures and and do our teaching on the passage. I say might read the scriptures because your tradition might have the scriptures read at the very front, maybe before you even come up. But uh, perhaps for us, for me at least, this is where I read the passage. Uh, If it's a passage that I can read in one sitting, you know, and it's not a super long two or three chapter narrative, But this is where the the, the Scripture is presented in its entirety, and we do our teaching on the passage. But how we organize this talking about the passage is critical. There is no way you're going to be able to say everything you want about the passage. One more time. There is no way you're going to be able to say everything you want about the passage. I'm going to go a step further. I don't think you need to say everything you want about the passage. So a lot has to be left out. I mean, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, like probably many of you are. And when I'm done doing my research on a passage, I've got pages and pages and pages of notes, maybe even cross-references, maybe even some scraps of ideas. I've got some commentary work thrown in there. I've got more than I could say in two hours. It took me longer than two hours to come up with it. But here's an idea on how you take all of that technical content and now put that into a format that you can present. Just a suggestion. And that is pick out three or maybe four nuggets or proofs for the big idea from the text. Okay, now again, that's a little backwards from how we're used to thinking. You've not stated the big idea yet. You've not stated that, but we're driving towards it. We're going to prove the big idea before we get there. So that way, when we do arrive there, everyone's nodding along going, yes, of course, that is the only thing it can be because we've used Scripture to prove it. Again, the big idea has come from the text. We've already done that work. That's part of our preparation. We've already found that, okay? So we're not making it up at this point. We've already found it. We're now shaping what we share and what we leave out based on what we have already discovered is the point of the text. So we we present these three or four nuggets, and maybe they're formally stated, perhaps not. We could go into that for 15 or 20 minutes on... Should they be stated? I tend to not do it personally. I list them out in my notes that I print in our discussion guide that we print every week. But 
I don't really formally state it. Not not really. I mean, I hit it and I mentioned there are divisions there, but I don't make a big deal out of it because I'm really trying to drive to that big idea. I'm not trying to distract them with something else. Okay, but regardless of how you fall down on that one, there are, these are basically three or four distinct ideas from the text supporting your solution to the problem. Can you feel how cohesive this preaching structure is? Okay, jabs one, two, three, they're presenting the problem. That's all in act one. You're presenting the, the, the dissonance. You're presenting the part of life that doesn't work, how the status quo is broken. Now we get to that right hook, you know, but God has more. God has designed us for more. He commands us to more. He calls us to more. We take them now into the second act. We read the scriptures to them. We break it down with three or four uh, nuggets or proofs of this big idea. We are setting up the solution and we're setting up the application right from that point before we've even told them that's what we're doing. This is the cohesiveness of it. This is what helps you remember it when you're actually speaking of it because you even have a single cohesive idea in your head that you're doing. So to a certain extent, you're hinting at this application from the very beginning of the message. And certainly, if you've done your textual homework, then you're going to have a good idea of what these proofs need to be. Because you've already asked these questions about who, what, when, where, why, and how. You've already done all that. You're just bringing that out now. You're not bringing that into the conversation. And that's the best way to think of this section, this second act, is proving the big idea. Even though you haven't really stated it as such just yet. So remember, we're trying to not be boring, and one key, maybe even the key to not being boring is persuasion. You are persuading them to see it God's way. Now, in the second act, you're going to prove it. You're going to prove that this is the way they need to think. The conclusion to act two, in the way that I do this, is the statement of the big idea or uh, what I tend to do is a sticky statement, which is just a, a catchier way, a more memorable way of saying the big idea. Usually your big idea is a pretty complex sentence, and the sticky statement is just a way to abbreviate that in a way that, that you can work, you know, that you can just remind them of, that you can come back to a couple of times. Now, you can provide some more biblical proof here. Perhaps you want to use a supporting text from... Um, another testament, you know, so if you're in the New Testament primarily, now here's where you bring in something from the old. Maybe you bring in some of the Proverbs or a Psalm or something like that. But, but for the most part, you've got to keep driving on. Because remember, we've just unwound the tension. We've given them the answer. We've given them the solution to the problem. We have unwound everything. We are rounding third, and we are coming home here. There's not much anything else you can do at this point that needs to be new. You must plow through to act three. Act three is the so what. This is the application section. And it should consume a fair amount of time. I'm gonna argue, I'm gonna argue that it should probably consume more time than you and I are currently giving it. Okay? My typical message here uh, at my house, where I teach on a on a weekly basis here at the church I lead, is about 30 to 32 minutes. 
Okay, and it's shorter sometimes if we have communion that day or we have a missionary interview or something like that, but it's 30 to 32 minutes. So my act three is about 10 minutes long, seven to 10 minutes, depending on how much uh, information I have to give. But seven to 10 minutes is how long my act three is for a 30 to 32 minute message. Again, I'm going to say that another way. Make sure you realize this. That means within my 30 to 32 minute message, up to 10 minutes is spent specifically applying this text. Now, yes, if you go through with the clock and you time me, sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. I'm giving you an average, okay? But there, there are basically three subsections to the Act 3. The first is a me illustration. The next is a you application. And the third is a congregational application. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the importance of the me illustration can hardly be overstated. Statistically, most of your congregation is going to be one of the following types on the Myers-Briggs, either ISFJ or ESFJ. They need something to benchmark in applying this to their life. They need to see this proven in a practical way. They need to see this truth from the Bible actually works. It's one thing to say it works in the supernaturally inspired Word of God. It's another thing to see that it works in your life and my life. If they need to see it work, then we are the ones who are changed by God to show them. And if it doesn't work in our lives, well, we certainly shouldn't be dumping it on others. That's what the Pharisees did in the time of Jesus. And I think we can probably recall what Jesus said about that. So the me illustration is where we are showing how this works in our lives. Now, if I were writing this out and you were seeing this in print, you would see an asterisk right here or a footnote that would guide you to this conversation. So just bear with me for a second, okay? I'm not saying that when we give this me illustration, we are always the hero of the story and we present this in such a way that we are always winning and always right and always conquerors and always victors because that's going to do nothing but make you look like a self-centered, conceited egotist, Okay. I'm going to be really blunt with you because we, we cannot always be the winner of the story. Sometimes the best illustrations of this is when we actually go back to the problem and we show how we messed up. Or maybe we show how we learned this. Or we show how we got to the application we're about to ask them to do. Okay. Sometimes it's just an, an illustration. It's not about us being the supernatural hero. It's just showing that we are on a faith journey just like they are. But my brothers and sisters, please hear me. We need to be further down the road than they are. We are their teacher. We need to be able to say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow my example as I follow him. That's what the me illustration is. No more, no less. Now, Meanwhile, back out of the footnote and into the main body of the text here, <laughs> this you application and the congregational application are the same that we've been saying. That's not really anything new. The you application is the specific action step they can take today to put this truth into action. 
I remind you again, dear listener, <laughs> it's got to be able to be walked out in real life. All right? It's got to be something they can do that they can walk out in real life. The congregational application, that section focuses us to, um, to think about how the entire community of faith can respond. It forces us to, to, to focus on the fact that we are not just individuals, that God calls us out as individuals, but he calls us in to a community of faith. That's why I like this approach so much. It really keeps us bound in the community of faith. It, it calls us to a group response. Perhaps this is an altar call if that's what your custom is. Perhaps it's signing up for an outreach initiative or agreeing to serve at an event for the community. But whatever it is, it's something the congregation as a whole can do to put this truth into action. I hope you've enjoyed the journey to not being a boring preacher. Full confession, I've got a long way to go on this, and I'm only sharing what I have figured out so far on this point in the journey. If you're on Facebook, will you give my page a like? Just search for Pastor Joel Dorman. Until we're together again, let the fire of the Holy Spirit ignite the passion to see Christians living their lives as wholehearted disciples of Jesus, our Savior and King. God bless.